Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything, to question everything they read, everything they hear. Welcome to Question Culture with Brian and Lornette. This is a bi-weekly podcast where each episode Lornette and I will be discussing and questioning conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. You can follow us on Twitter at QCulture and Facebook at QCulture1. That's Q-U-E-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. There we share the links to the documentaries, articles, and books we reference in each episode. On today's episode, we'll be discussing abortion. How's it going, Lornette? Hey, what's going on, Brian? Uh, Lorna Vestal here. Uh, thanks for all our folks for tuning in and listening. We, we continue to get more and more listeners, so this is pretty awesome. So share this with your friends. Share this with, um, share far and wide. Um, obviously, we know a podcast isn't going <laughs> to create the revolution, but um, we just like sparking conversation. So um, you can follow me on Twitter at Evolving Man LBV. Uh, you can check out the Evolving Man Project where I deep dive in some of the conversations and, and topics we discuss here on Question Culture with Brian and his brother Steve and our uh, esteemed panel of guests. And also we have a special um, Veterans Day podcast that will be out by the time this comes out. So make sure you go back and listen to that. Um, which we discuss um, Afghanistan. We discuss just the life, day in the life of a, of a soldier. And uh, the guest we have is Miss Gretchen Evans who was a command sergeant major in um, the United States Army, and she commanded forces in Afghanistan. So for some reason, she was like, hey, I'll be on our, our little podcast. So <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So uh, shout out to Gretchen, and uh, thank you again for um, coming on our podcast, um, talking to um, myself and Brian as we destroy America one podcast at a time. <laughs> Last but not least, check out my debut novel with my lovely wife, Bernita Haynes, called Eve and the Faders. Um, the, the Fader the Alpha Syria series is uh, going to have a second book coming out soon, 2022. And in the meantime, you can check out the Harmony Project, which will be on the Waking Writer uh, website and also uh, the Evolving Man website. And it's a short story um, related to even the Faders and probably can whet your appetite for the second novel. So um, it's sci-fi and fantasy, so definitely different than what we talk about, but. We're going to have a special science episode coming up where we're going to get into some um, nerd culture. But today we're, we're doing our we're not it's not a fun podcast today. It's, it's the regular old um, doom and gloom. And this one is a, a very uh, important topic and also a topic that um, Brian and I, being guys, um, will never experience because. Um, it's biologically impossible for us to get pregnant unless you're in Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he got pregnant junior. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about reproductive rights and in particular abortion. And uh, for our, our, our women listeners and those who identify as women who, you know, will, will maybe want to carry a child or might have went through this um, procedure. Uh, we can never truly understand uh, what goes into that and in and, and, and the the judgments, um, the thought process. Um, obviously, this is something that is should be decided by um, the individuals impacted by it, and in particular, the person who will be going on to this procedure. Um, so we are, as we like to say, uh, well, not like to say, but we will declare on this out, uh, podcast that we are extremely 
pro-choice and we think abortion should be legal. Um, not for the sake of us going out there and just like, you know, <laughs> impregnating someone and giving them the morning after pill. Uh, cause Brian and I are both married, so we can't be doing that anyway. Uh, <laughs> it would be frowned upon. Um, but also in all seriousness, um, it's about saving the lives of, um, women and ensuring that they can have this procedure in the, in, um, sterile, clean, safe environment and that the restriction of this um, drives it underground and puts the lives, people's lives in danger. Um, yeah, I think that's, I, I would assume most of the people who listen to this podcast are pro-choice. Um, if if you are, which I'm assuming you probably are, um, I hope you're still probably going to learn a lot from this podcast. I mean, I learned a lot just researching it. Um, if you're not, I my goal is to try and convince you to see this through the lens of women's personal rights and their health, because it's kind of similar to the the war on drugs issue, where even if you're against people doing drugs and you know drugs you know hurting people, then you should be on the side of decriminalizing drugs because having drugs illegal actually um, creates you know worse situations and more people die from drug overdoses and more people suffer from addiction and things like that and it's similar where abortions is really about women's access to health and reproductive rights and so if you make abortion illegal you're actually causing more death and suffering than having it legal so i hope you know from the course of this episode i just hope that i can get you to see it from the lens of women's health and that's actually what i i've always been kind of pro-choice but i always kind of looked at it in a scientific way like is life right when it fertilizes or is a heartbeat or you know i was focused on that part of it when really it's more just about giving women the access to the health care they need um, and women having control over their own bodies so i'm hopefully get to get you to see it from that lens um and I just before we you know get into the history like we always do, I just want to throw out a couple facts there or facts about abortion that might be surprising. Um, one in four women will in the U.S. will have an abortion by time by the time they're forty five. So this isn't a you know fringe issue that not a lot of people are going to deal with. Twenty five percent of women are going to be in this situation at some point in their life. Um, another one is that six, approximately 60% of women who get abortion are already mothers. So I think on the pro-life side of it, there's this misinterpretation that it's like, you know, just young girls hooking up with people, not thinking about the consequences. And But in reality, no, this is actually people who have already, you know, given birth and are already mothers and understand what it takes to raise someone who are getting these procedures. And then finally, another one is that, you know, back to that whole myth about this is just you know, young, loose women who aren't, you know, aren't being responsible. Only 10% of abortions are for teen girls. Uh, The vast majority of abortions are for women aged 20 to 30. So this isn't, you know, right off the bat, just the statistics alone of it kind of crush some of these, um, you know, taboo things that the the pro-life, so-called pro-life people like to put out there. Yeah. And and another thing is, you know, we're, unfortunately, we live in a very um, misogynistic culture, uh, sexist culture and you know I wouldn't consider myself a feminist uh, not because I don't think women are equal but because I, I I was I'm born a man I was raised in a you know as a male in a culture that's you know very sexist so I like to say I am a recovering misogynist because I have my own stuff to work on because this stuff is ingrained is ingrained in us since day one especially um, gender identity and ideas around gender so you know we're not now, if a woman decides to, you know, get an abortion, 
we're not here to we're not the moral police. We're not here to judge her. Uh, and on this podcast, we're definitely not here to slut shame. Um, as long as people are you know having healthy sex, healthy consensual sexual relations, um, you know the only thing I would say is you know protect yourself, get tested. Um, if you're young and single, and or you know old and single, <laughs> whatever age and single, um, practice safe sex, but also um, and be healthy and get tested. That's that's the only thing I would say. But I'm not gonna slut shame um, someone for you know wanting to be sexually liberated. Um, and I'm not damn sure not gonna shame a woman who um, decides to get an abortion for whatever reason that may be important to her. The most important thing is having the access. And for the pro-life people, what's always the most interesting and funny thing about them. Um, especially these elected officials. Let's, let's target them. Um, you know, they, they care about the baby as long as it's in the womb. As soon as it's out, you're on your own fucking kid. Because in this country, and this is a stat off the top of my head, so my our listeners can research this, but it's like a 20% child poverty rate in this country and rising, probably even higher with the pandemic. Yeah, so with the people who are like, oh, we got what about the babies? They're killing babies. What about the babies who are already here who don't have fucking food? Who are going to bed hungry? Twenty percent child poverty because children don't vote. It's ridiculous. So if you're, if well, you're, if you're, I was going to bring up that later. Yeah, we, we can we can get to that. So that's my that's my soapbox for now. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I was just going to add to that that what you you find out is play, place when abortion is legal, the rates of infant mortality are higher. The the rates of women dying in childbirth automatically go up. So if you're so pro-life and you care about life, then you should let women ha- control their bodies and have access to the health care they need if you really care about life so much. But as we'll get into, a lot of these politicians, it's not that they're pro-life, it's that they're pro-controlling women. Exactly. Keep them, keep them in line. Gotta keep them in the line. Barefoot and pregnant, Brian. That's what they in the kitchen <laughs> cooking dinner. And you give them a nice slap on the butt to get your sandwich faster and your beer. You know what's so funny is like I feel like both our wives are like super independent, strong women. So like if we if we actually talked to them like that, we would get slapped in the face so quick. Yeah, mine might cut me. So yeah, um, get, if I, I can. I have never told her to get me a beer. Uh, wow. Uh, so no. and if I did, she, you know, she'd probably throw something at me. So yeah, you get the beer to the head. Exactly. But, you want a beer? Take this. All right, so let's, uh, as we always do on this podcast, let's get into the history of it to start off. So there's kind of, well, I kind of divided the history. Oh, sorry, do you have something you want to add? Well, I was going to talk about like the um, time in antiquity. So um, there's a great uh, chart from this um, uh, place called Eastside Gynecology, and they talk about um, even before we get to the, because the, I think your history is going to be talking about during the um, the columbus era on to like now um and this is like before pre all right yeah 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 yeah. you're right i was so yeah get into it yeah yeah so this is just a quick uh thing so apparently in the biblical era in the old testament uh numbers it's only probably the first time we've quoted the bible on this (laughs) on this podcast (laughs) so numbers uh chapter 5 verse 11 through 31 states that if a woman strays from a husband he must bring her to a priest who will serve bitter water that brings a curse essentially condemning her to a miscarriage you know go old testaments <laughs> but the ancient egyptians um the kion papyrus outlines the use of crocodile dung and dough that is inserted in a vagina that has a spermicide and to induce a miscarriage that's kind of disgusting but you know i guess you had to do what you had to do in ancient egypt 
They didn't show that on Assassin's Creed Origin, Origins. Because <laughs> Bayek and Aya was getting their freak on, and Aya should have been pregnant at least 700 times. Because <laughs> every time they got together, they got their freak on. But she was still assassinating niggas. Maybe she was, maybe she was pregnant at the time assassinating people. I don't know. But it's a video game, and I'm thinking too deeply about it. Um, I have not smoked weed at all for this podcast. And I have not smoked weed in many years. So I'm not high. Just high on life. All right. The ancient Greeks, Romans, and Europeans. A drug called Pennyroyal was used in several ways, including a culinary herb, a low-dose birth control, a pest control, and more. It was so popular, Astrophenes mentioned it in his play, Listeria. I'm pronouncing these names so wrong. My wife is going to kill me. Pennyroyal is also mentioned as an efficient anti-abortion fishing in a text attributed to Cleopatra. It was also used for centuries and grown in common household gardens, including that of early American settlers. So this 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 uh, drug called Pennyroyal. China, 300 BCE before the Common Era. Ancient China used mercury as a method of forcing miscarriage. Their ancient handwritten, handwritten text includes 48 valiants on prescriptions for abortions. And this is probably the most, of all those weird history bits, uh, this is probably the most weirdest and, and most fucked up one. But this is American history that they don't want us to know or they don't want us to teach because it'll make little Billy and Julie feel bad in their schools. It's making us feel bad to be white people. This critical race theory stuff. You mean American history? So this is some American history for you. The Americas in the 1600s, African women brought here as slaves to the United States were using cotton wood to abort as a result of rape, typically from slave owners. They also used the seven from the Jupiter Bush Penny Royal Tansy, Aragot, and Seneca snake root to abort pregnancies. So they were aborting babies because they were raped by the slave masters. And I'm sure that the slave masters weren't just raping the women slaves, but I'm pretty sure the little girl slaves and teenage slaves. So that's American history. You got We got to deal with that. So, yeah, I mean, so it's important to know that, like, basically women trying controlling their reproductive rights have been has been going on through all of human history. And that includes early America. If we're looking just at U.S. history, the topic of abortion really changed around the 1840s. I'm just going to read an, an um, excerpt from before 1840. And it said, uh, before 1840, abortion was widespread, largely stigma-free experience for American women. During the, that period, the American legal system used the quickening doctrine from British common law to decide the legality of abortion. Quickening is basically when uh, the woman can actually feel the fetus moving around in her stomach, um, and that usually occurs between the fourth and sixth months of pregnancy. Um, that was the only, back then, the only sure way to, you know, even confirm that a woman was pregnant. Um, before this time, any fetus was considered only potential life, not actually alive. Um, and then during that time, women most often used herbal concoctions that they learned from other women, healers, or physicians um, to have abortion. Um, even, um, even if it was, and it was extreme, extremely hard to prove, but even if it was proven that the woman had aborted her pregnancy post quickening, um, it was only a misdemeanor. And, um, up to the 1940s, it was extremely rare that a woman would ever be prosecuted for that because, you know, how do you prove it? She's the only one that can feel if it's moving most of the time. So how would you even prove something like that? It wasn't until the 18, it was basically between 18, 
for, um, 60 and, uh, uh, 1860 and 1880 that the laws really started to change. 40 laws were passed around the country banning abortion, um, except for the uh, when it was the life of the mother uh, was in jeopardy. And Lornette, did you want to get into why that change started to shift? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So this, this is so reproductive rights and contraceptives, and um, can basically kind of um, safe, safe sex practices and uh, pregnancy prevention <laughs> has been going on since um, as long as human civilization has been around. It, it seems like, um, but this change in the modern era, especially in the Americas was the result of the very conservative and rigid Victorian era. Surprisingly, it wasn't even the era of the Puritans who had very more, they had very lax laws when it came to abortion and reproductive rights and even um, sexuality. So it was really the Victorian era that this became a, a, a thing. So Americans in the Victorian era thought abortion was a problem brought on by upper class white women who were choosing to start their families later and limit their size. Increased female independence was perceived as a threat to male power and patriarchy, especially Victorian women who increasingly were volunteering outside the home and also um, for religious and charitable, charitable causes. So, you know, they couldn't have these women being independent and, and going out and, and doing things and making their communities better. They got to be barefoot and pregnant. And also that's a threat to us men. If I can't get her barefoot and pregnant with a bunch of kids, she might leave me and realize the piece of shit I am and leave me. So I got to knock her up. And knock her up with a whole bunch of kids so she can't go anywhere. So the patriarchy has always been strong. Uh. And what me and what me and Lornette both learned while researching this was, which is extremely fucked up, is the a, cl- a class of people that really pushed to have abortion banned was male doctors. And the reason being, as Lornette kind of you know did a little intro to, was women were starting to threaten you know the the old way of doing things in society and. For majority of history, women were primary care- caregivers to other women as healers and would help in abortions. And, and also delivering child, children, too, midwives. Yeah. And, exactly. And doulas in some of the uh, um, African cultures and um, things like that. So Exactly. And up until this point in history, med- medicine, you know, it wasn't now it's a very established institution. Up until this time, you know, the mid-1800s, it was more of a Wild West. It was not a very well-established institution, but it was starting to become more established. So with that, male doctors, basically, you know, they didn't want anyone competing with their business. So they didn't want, you know, midwives and, and women, you know, help giving birth or, or making concoctions to help with abortion. They wanted to control all that. So groups of physicians were really huge in, in pushing for anti-abortion legislation, um, and kind of undermining any kind of women doctors that were out there. And it, honestly, unfortunately, it was extremely successful. I mean, I think it was by 1900, so by like the 20th century, almost every state or every state had some kind of anti-abortion law passed. Yeah, and this was like perpetuated by the, uh, <laughs> uh, it was the American Medical, the American Medical Association founded in 1848 to present. Uh they coalesced, they, one of the reasons was to make abortions completely, they set out to make abortions completely illegal in the United States. Uh, the thought was that it kept women from dominating the medical field since abortion would only be permitted in times of saving the life of the mother, which required the recommendation of a doctor. So this was like doctors maintaining their power and also kind of putting women, in quote, in their place. Um, and then kind of some deep dive into that aspect. Uh, during the mid-19th century, American physicians also began to battle irregular doctors such as homeopaths and midwives in an attempt to set 
assert the authority and may and legitimacy of male-dominated scientific medicine. To tackle those irregular doctors, the scientific physicians attacked legal abortion because it was the midwives and others unscientific uh, medical practitioners who were safely who safely performed the procedure. However, white men were also concerned concerned with the shifting ethnic and racial dynamic in the United States at the time, worrying that the low birth weight of white upper class women would lead to racial inferiors and un-American immigrants overrunning the country. So, so you get a lot going on there, but it always goes down to like racism and sexism uh, with that's human what, beings. It's always. That's what I was thinking too. Like there, cause, cause that, it was pretty much the exact same arguments back then as it is now. It's like immigrants are coming in and they're all having babies. You know, you always hear that on they're Fox gonna, News. They're going to, they're going to rape like, our women. They're, they're coming in and taking our women and getting them pregnant. We got to, we got to protect. We got to, we have to keep pure white babies coming on. Pretty sure Alex Jones is talking about that. The Illuminati Bilderbergs are coming. The immigrants are coming to take their job. I'll eat my neighbors. I'll eat their ass. I'll eat their ass. Look here. Um, We don't need to know all that about that, you Alex Jones. Whatever you do behind closed doors with a consensual partner is your And if you want to eat your neighbor's ass, you go ahead. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, obviously I don't watch Fox News, but I always see like clips of Tucker Carlson talking about like the changing demographics in the country. And, you know, Mexican immigrants are having so much babies and white people aren't having babies and stuff and it's just hilarious to me that literally the same propaganda and racism was going on back in the 1800s and they were so worried about it and you know it's just fucking well, like you know, patri- as much as something's changed something's you yeah know, well like stuff. racism the patriarchy is fucking strong because like fox news there's a in in these republican politicians and also these conservative blue dog democrats which i just say are just like republicans uh shout out to kristen cinema and joe manchin and Joe Biden. <laughs> Republicans. Anyway. <laughs> the women who are like anti-abortion and, and, uh, and, and pro-life. It's like the whole idea of uh, making abortion illegal, at least in this country, because the United States always has to do everything with flair, was to keep women in their place and also ensure that white babies were being born. And not that, you know, the babies are the so-called inferior races, as they uh, put in a quote that I just read just a few minutes ago. So the women who like perpetuate the um, pro-choice, I mean pro-life stance, who, you know, they're just aiding and abetting patriarchy. It's, it's as, you know, even if, even if you like, even for your religious reasons, or whatever, you're just like, uh, you should not be like, we should make it all illegal. Um, and I mean, it's it would, kind of like gay marriage. If you are against gay marriage, then don't marry someone the same sex as you. Exactly. If you are against drugs, don't do drugs then, you know, but don't try and control and other And force people. that on every every other human being especially, who live in this country. Especially because you never know what, maybe you've had like a great life and you've never, not even that you've had a great life, maybe you've just never been in a situation where you've had to worry about your health in that way. But that doesn't mean that completely different people haven't had other experiences and, you know, need to do whatever they need to do in their situation. And that's what I want to get into now. So now, you know, late 1800s, 1900s, abortion becomes illegal across the country. What impact did that have on women? So one, it forced them into unsafe abortions because, you know, um, as opposed to what a lot of pro-life people think, if you make abortion illegal, that doesn't deter women are still going to need to get abortion. Yeah, it's just like when they made reasons. made alcohol illegal and they had the, 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 the right. speakeasies and, and all that. Or even with the, the war on drugs, like, you know, drugs are technically illegal, but Brian and Brian and I, you know, we can attest back when marijuana was illegal in Illinois, 
me and him smoked copious amounts. Yeah, it didn't stop us at <laughs> it all. It didn't stop us from uh, smoking copious amounts of, of, of right. So may- illegal drugs. Oh my god, <laughs> we're going to hell. We're going to jail. I'm going to jail. Happy Veterans Day. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Smoke weed every day. Happy Veterans Day. <laughs> so what it does, so by making abortion illegal, you're basically f- pushing women into unsafe abortions. They, you know, they basically, what, they can have to do whatever they can. So whether trying to attempt it themselves, going to someone who doesn't know what they're doing, they were having them in unsafe conditions, um, using unsafe well, sanitized tools, conditions. Un- yeah, un- yeah, not clean conditions. And I, I, I re- this is really hit hit me hard i took a women's history class and we were reading about this and the horrific shit that happens because of this and all the women that died all the horrible botched procedures that go wrong and all the suffering that it causes you know i I mean if you if you can put up with some depressing shit i definitely recommend reading it because it really makes you see this whole thing in a new life and if you're you claim to be something that care about like life and happiness and there's no way you can you know, want abortion to be legal after you hear all the horrifying shit that happens. And not even just the botched abortion and procedures and, you know, all the deaths that happen that way, but then all the horrific shit women went through if they were accused of having abortions. I mean, literally, you know, like in court cases, like having women who are just like, I don't know, there's just so many situations where women are being like, you know, basically raped with like, you know, men with tools and stuff trying to figure out, did you actually have an abortion, you know, and a lot of them didn't. And, and I'll share a video. I saw a protest once of some on YouTube of some women who were talking about, you know, abortion rights, and they were reading off stories, they were naming the women when this happened, and all the shit they went through. And it's truly fucking horrific shit. Um, And of course, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and I was just gonna say during this time period, um, when uh, the United States decided to make laws making abortion illegal until 1973 with the passage, passage of when with the decision of uh, Roe v. Wade with the Supreme Court, um, f- up to 5,000 women per year died uh, due to unsafe abortions. 5,000. And that's kind of like the numbers they were counting. So we don't know the actual numbers. It could have been higher, much higher right. than that 5K. So if you're, if you're pro-life, you're, you're, if, you want, if you make abortion completely illegal, which is the goal, and the reasons why is to control women and, and, and also racism uh, because <laughs> we can't have America getting darker. <laughs> well, yeah, I Obama mean, was already dark enough. I don't want it getting darker. They keep having babies and our women aren't having babies. Uh, well, and that's what, and of course, too, in America, you can't separate anything from class. So when abortions were illegal, it's predominantly the lower classes that suffer because they can't, you know, rich people will find a way. They have resources. If, they, you know, a rich woman needs to get an abortion, even during this time, she could figure out a way more more often than not to get it done safely and clean, um, where poor women were the one who really suffered and were more likely to die and have, you know, catch diseases and stuff from unsafe um, abortion techniques. Um, not to mention they caught the hell of like the taboo and the, you know, just the tab- taboo nature that surrounds it, um, where, you know, rich people could keep it under wraps. And what this ultimately ended up leading to, you know, during this time, uh, eventually the U.S. would end up having the highest infant mortality rate among developed countries, the highest rate of women's, women dying from this. Um, and I think it's not even, I mean, and that lingers to this day as we're going to get into, even though Roe v. Wade passed, states are still coming up with anti-abortion laws and states like Alabama and Mississippi consistently have like the highest infant mortality rates in all of the developed world. 
Um, some of those states have more than like other countries. Um, so it really the effects of this from the early, you know, mid 1800s on is still affecting us today, even after Roe v. Wade. Um, yeah. And what's the craziest thing is like this, this, this is a topic that can potentially affect, you know, half the population. Well, and, and, I think and, and the people making the decisions about it don't can't can't carry a child to full term like they they don't have vaginas. These are guys. They're like me and you, Brian, you know. And if men had to have babies, there wouldn't be any more humans anyway. Like, you think of babies coming out of our pee hole, good luck. <laughs> well, and what I think guys forget in their ignorance is it's not like, you know, having a baby, it's not just like you're walking around and boop, it pops out one day and then you're done. Like, think about when a woman gets pregnant, think about how much she has to go to the doctor throughout the pregnancy. How, how many, how much her body's changing. Yeah. It, it's Organs are being shifted because he literally has a whole nother human being growing inside of it right it's not like it's just a one-time thing where it's just like oh i'm pregnant have the kid okay i'm done and, and like, from a typically scientific perspective also the the, the embryo kind of is where we all kind of started off parasitic like they're feeding off like the the food and nutrients that the right. host is giving them so it's kind of like if you think about it from just like purely scientific terms it's like like we're, we're all kind of started off as like parasites right. in our mother's womb well right we're completely <laughs> dependent on the on our on our mother you know and it's yeah, and it's, I just think it's important to think, you know, having babies is a whole process and having access to abortion, just like parent Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood gives health care services to women. Abortion is only what, like, I think it's like less than 10% of what they actually do. And it's because, yeah. you know, think about like women have to go to gy- gynecologists. Men don't have to do that. I mean, one, you know, after we get third, over 35, we have to start having our prostate examined. But Women their entire lives have to see a special doctor just for reproductive things. And it's a whole process. It's a whole lifetime of health for women. It's not like this one-time thing. You know, you get pregnant, and then it's one day, and then you're good to go. You know, it's it's a completely whole a whole lifetime of women having access to health care. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. And, but, um, you know. And what, also for those folks who might be offended by the whole, like, saying an embryo is a parasite, uh, get over yourselves. <laughs> read a science book <laughs> it's the truth well i mean I if you look at humans on a large scale even you know the the adult ones if you look at it from like an earth scale we're all kind of parasites on the planet so oh yeah i don't think i wouldn't take offense to that <laughs> but man, it might be so you know get over yourselves and it's our podcast so we can say whatever <laughs> <laughs> but um but we, we still we still love you ladies and, and, and we, we 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 are pro-human that's why we have this podcast because we want to change this shit we just don't accept the status quo Ex- but go on, Brian. <laughs> exactly. But uh, no, so I was going to just get into, you know, of course, when horrific shit goes down in history, that's also when the most beautiful resistance starts to form. So uh, in the 19 in the 1900s, 20th century, women started to organize and fight against this. Um, I was going to get in. Did you have anything you wanted to add? I was going to get in to talk about uh, Margaret Sanger. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add before I get into that? Uh, um. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, the the women's suffrage movement was it was huge. Um, it wasn't just about voting; it was about a push for economic and political equality for women, and it resulted in the increased employment of women in America uh, from two point seven million to eight point seven point eight, as well as potentiating potentiating for uh, entry into universities, particularly for Harvard, such as subjects as gynecologists, um, gynecology. Um, yeah, and, and basically, it was like women taking control of their own fate. Um, and, and we also got to think about American history. Um, 
you know, this was really the women's movements in this country kind of started. <laughs> Actually, it, it really the history goes back to like Frederick Douglass. He was a he was a women's suffrage uh, advocate, um, but also you know he believed that obviously uh, slavery should be outlawed and that you know black and white people should be equal to each other, and also that men and women should be equal to each other. And actually, the uh, the white women suffragists uh, kind of utilized him as like the, their stepping stone. And he was like, "Hey, we we still gotta like you know free black people, and half those black people are women, so." They should be part of the suffrage movements too, and that kind of was like where he had a falling out. So there's some interesting history around that too. Uh, so, so the founder, the one of the leading advocates of a, the women's rights, um, despite to Hotep's dismay, was a black man named Frederick Douglass. <laughs> so all the brothers out there were like, we need to go back to traditional. It was a brother back in the day was like, hey, women should be equal. Um, you know, not just the white women to white men, but like our our black women, all women, indigenous, black, Latino, Asian, all of them should be just as equal. To, to me, just because I'm just because I'm a guy doesn't make me special. Like, and yes, man, we're not special. We're just we're just dudes. All right. So and I wanted to bring up kind of a key figure in abortion rights and, and kind of women's reproductive rights. And that was Margaret Sanger. Um, as I'll get into a little bit, she did have, you know, she wasn't perfect. She had what I would consider some some pretty bad views later in life. Um, but, you know, we're all human. And I think it's important, you know, if, if you're looking at Gandhi, he was pretty fucked up, did some fucked up sexual things. So if you focus just on that, you know, but he did, I don't think he that have means... a high opinion of um, the black South Africans either. <laughs> right. So, but I do think, you know, but does that mean we should completely throw out all the things he did for peace? And, you know, Martin Luther King based a lot of his activism off Gandhi. So I think it's important yeah. to understand that we're all complex people. We all have good views and bad views and just because someone has, you know, one view that's detestable doesn't mean that the things that they did do that were good, you know, aren't good. But um, Margaret Sanger, early 1900s, so this is 1912, she's working as a nurse, um, and she watched as one of her patients, uh, Sadie Sachs, um, became extremely ill from a botched abortion and almost uh, died. And so, and then after, when she was coming back into health, she asked her male doctor, um, that um, Margaret worked under, you know, what can I do to prevent pregnancies in the future? And the doctor said, oh, just tell your husband to sleep on the roof. Ha ha ha. So he really did nothing for her. She went home, tried to have the do the abortion herself. And then her husband called Margaret. Margaret went to the house and the, the, uh, Sadie ended up dying later, leaving her husband and three kids behind. So this was a mother who already had kids and um, just couldn't have another one um, and died from not, you know, having access to abortion. So that vote that motivated Margaret Sanger to, you know, make sure that never happens again. So she got active. Um, she started by starting a paper and sending out, you know, pamphlets, which are extremely common at the time. She got arrested for that because it violated um, obscenity laws. You weren't allowed to talk about having uh, birth control or, or abortions or things like that. Um, in 1916, she opened the first birth control clinic in uh, New York. Um, and what it was was giving women um, access to contraceptive information. Um, once again, she was arrested on the grounds of obscenities, um, but she kept going. Um, after World War II, she founded the American Birth Control League in 1921. Um, she enlarged her base by bringing in more middle-class people. She was more upper-class, um, and so basically just continue to get this knowledge out there, give women access, start to organize, um, and then, um, 
basically what ended up happening and also so these began to spread is uh, she uh, was receiving letters from all over the country for women who were trying to figure out how to get access to birth control and what they could could do to have you know not have unplanned uh, pregnancies Um, and she even which is weird because it conflicts with her later views but she even um, worked with um, James Hubert who was a black social worker and um, got a clinic opened in Harlem um, and it was staffed completely by black doctors um, and the, the board, the advisory board that ran the clinic consisted of black doctors, nurses, clergy, journalists, and social workers. Um, and then in the 1930s, um, there were other countries that had more lax laws about developing birth control. So she actually, um, I think it was she went to Japan and, and um, imported um, diaphragms from Japan into the U.S. Once again, she was uh, um, arrested for this, but ultimately challenged it in court and then got the laws overturned and basically got um, got you know um, contrace- contraception. <laughs> I don't know. I can't say that. Got Contracep- it. Contraceptives. Yeah. Got the, yeah. Those. <laughs> got those. Say that three times fast. Exactly right. Got those legalized in the country. Um, and then so later in life too, but later she got sucked into kind of eugenics thinking, which was common during the 30s and 40s, which if people who don't know eugenics is basically that like we should control who's having births to weed, to weed out, um, you know, undesirables, as they called them. And it was used, you know, Hitler used it to exterminate the Jews. It was extremely popular and common in America, you know, as a form of racism. It was interesting from what I read with her, it was never about race. It seemed like she just bought into that the poor, you know, this idea that the poor are dumb and unintelligent and don't know what they're doing. You know, they, she saw basically the poor as their own, you know, victims of themselves rather than economic forces, as we you know now know is the real cause of poverty. Um, so no, Brian, they're just not working hard enough <laughs> right. and they're lazy. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, Elon Musk works 20 hours a day, seven days a week. The man doesn't sleep. He's a machine. But um, so she did start all these pro and all these organizations that she started ended up developing the birth control pill, which really revolutionized uh, women's role in society and what they were capable of of doing. Um, And then it also ended up morphing into Planned Parenthood, which is one of the, uh, you know, primary caregivers for women's reproductive rights, especially for lower class women. So. Uh, her views on eugenics were detestable, but everything else, you know, she did a lot more for uh, for women's reproductive rights than, than other people. So, you know, got to give her hats, hats off on that. Yeah. And I also find it interesting that with birth control, it's always kind of like they, they were developing um, they were developing pill for for us men. And uh, in the trials, guys were getting headaches and stuff like that. So they stopped the trials. So that's I think the <laughs> every time I- they try to develop a male pill, they're like, Oh, I'm getting headaches. And like, this is like women who take the pill are going through so many hormonal changes because they're fucking with their body chemistry. And it's always up to them. And it's like guys are like, oh, I want to kind of take away the feeling. Brothers, use a condom. Um, <laughs> if you're not trying to have babies and stuff like that, unwanted babies. Um, yeah. Just be, and think think about think about what you before you act. All right. I know. I know. I know there's a lot of guys out there that just shoot first. Ask questions later. Um, no, don't do that. <laughs> and there was there was one more historical figure that I wanted to bring up before we get into kind of the modern situation after Roe v. Wade, um, and that was Pat. I'm going to butcher her name again. Pat Maginus and the Army of Three. Um, she was basically um, a grassroots organizer. Um, 
and founded the Society for the uh, for Humane Abortions. And basically, and she had this army of three, as they were called, with two other women. Um, and what they basically did was worked with, and this was later, this was, I'm talking in the 1960s, uh, late 60s, leading up to Roe v. Wade. Um, and what they basically did was form organizations that connected women with doctors who, would, who could do abortions. Um, they also provided guidance so people could write into the organization, ask about birth control abortions, things like that. They would um, provide women's with kits who needed them with lists of doctors. Um, they also provided, because at the time, a lot of women had to go out of country to get abortions. So it, when that was the case, um, they provided them with um, uh, basically information on how, how to you know go in and out of customs. Um, summaries of laws in the different countries, and uh, and also provided instructions if they absolutely had to about how to do safe self-induced abortions. Um, so it kind of seems like the history of uh, at least getting abortion, you know, more accepted on a legal level. There was kind of the legal side where it was happening in the courts, but then there was also you can't underestimate how much these grass movements and organizations really helped women um, in a time that they needed it. And um, those legal battles culminated in Roe v. Wade in 1973, um, which basically the Supreme Court ruled that women had a right to privacy when choosing an abortion and had the right um, from to, um, to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. Um, but as we'll get into right here, even though it was set up that way on the federal level, it didn't mean that states didn't start passing their own laws to try and restrict that access. Um, yeah, and um, you know, I can talk a little bit about that uh, <laughs> because as soon as that passed, that was because we, we talked about it earlier about one of the two reasons, two main reasons why abortion became illegal in this country um, prior to during the Victorian era was to keep you know upper class white women from being able to not be able to get abortions, access to abortions to keep, you know, the white race pure and in particular wealthy upper class white women and the white race, that white race pure. They probably didn't give a shit about the poor white people, just like they didn't care about the poor black people or migrants who were coming over here and also to control women in general. Um, so um, the right wingers have been on attack since Roe v. Wade passed uh, decades of strategizing by anti-abortion Forces and a relentless conservative focus on winning the courts culminated in the U.S. Supreme Court's 5-4 decision to allow Texas, this is recent, uh, Texas restrictive reproductive laws to um, go in effect. It's a roadmap for red states nationwide to evade judicial review and undo Roe v. Wade in their states as well. And then we can get it go right now. Um, this, is, this is the truth. And many women who can attest to tested this. Um, at no time since night before 1973, when the U.S. Supreme Court legalized abortion, has women's ability to terminate a pregnancy has been more dependent upon her zip code and financial resources to travel. And this is the outcome of the fruit of decades of long strategy um, of um, um, decades long strategy from advocacy organizations, right-wing advocacy organizations like Americans United for Life and National Right to Life have spent 40 years since Roe v. Wade's passed this drafting and lobbying for rules that make uh, operating abortion clinics highly difficult. So uh, they make these laws in these different states that 
put these ridiculous medical standards on the um, abortion clinics, um, even when these clinics are proven that these, you know, their current methods are safe, uh, sanitized, sanitary, and um, effective. They put these ridiculous standards on these um, uh, medical providers and basically outlawing them. They're called TRAP laws, T-R-A-P laws, and you can look them up. But basically they look to, instead of stopping women from getting abortion, they try and make these ridiculous laws to make it restrictive for abortion providers. So to yep. basically make it hard for doctors to give abortions. Um, there's also, and so the different, so it, it's, I think it's, it's it's i think up, up to now it's getting up into the 20s it used to be in the or like early 90s it was 14 states but they would pass all these laws to you know they couldn't specifically make it illegal so they would pass all these laws to prevent it so there would be mandatory ultrasounds where the woman has to watch, you know look at the baby in the in the ultrasound before she could have abortion um insane waiting periods that would basically make the woman wait until it was too late to have an abortion um, they had um, restrictions on insurance coverage, and I think it, w- it wasn't even that long after Roe v. Wade. I think it was later in the 70s the Hyde Amendment passed, which basically made it so that Medicare funding couldn't be used for abortions. So that severely strict, you know, obviously that hurt the poor, the rich can afford. Yeah, it and even so. even even with the passage of uh, the uh, ACA, um, American um, Affordable Care Act. They they made sure that federal money couldn't go to um, abortions, or that you know people couldn't use use the Obamacare to to pay for their abortion, or to cover their abort abortion as insurance. And and that's what's crazy is so like Roe v. Wade was supposedly made abortion legal, but it, you know I found that these stats between 1979 and 2014, over 700 women were arrested for crimes relating to abortions. So it's not like it was like you know, Roe v. Wade up, you know, just like that myth about like slavery ended and then everything was great for black people. You know, it's not like Roe v. Wade happened and then women's all of a sudden, all right, it's, you know, everything's good with, women, you know, female health care. Um, <laughs> exactly. It, it, it's always a, it's always one step forward, two steps back. It's a constant struggle. And this and I found this on the, the it was from the American Progress Legislation, their website. It said that in 2021 alone. 561 abortion restrictive measures were introduced in state legislatures all over the country. Um, I'll share the link to the website, but you can go on there, see what the states were, see what the law was. Of those 561, 97 passed. And that's what really kind of put this subject on on my radar to do an episode for was I saw in Texas how they passed that law, you know, basically banning abortion. These heartbeat laws that they've basically been passing everywhere. Exactly. And what was even what's even crazier about the Texas law is they found even another way to well, for one, what's even more fucked up about it is it it's illegal even in the case of rape and incest, which is beyond fucked up to me to think it's beyond the pill yeah it's fucking insane um but what they also did was they also added another insidious legal thing to it where now rather than the state um trying to prosecute women they actually give the right that other individual citizens can sue abortion providers for this so and what that kind of does is is that kind of takes it so rather than the state having to go to the Supreme Court if they get tried now it's up to individual under individual people can start doing this so you can basically flood the court system with this um so it's really adding another legal kind of component to making legal and it seems like other states are following suit 
I mean, Alabama has um, pretty crazy abortion laws. Mississippi, um, the state of Georgia that I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. And don't be getting, don't get it twisted, Brian. These uh, advocacy groups, if we can call them that, um, like United Americans United for Life and uh, National Right to Life. Um, these these think tanks and all these right wing think groups and advocacy groups, they write these laws just like they write the fucked up financial laws that we have, the fucked up um, prison laws we have, all these. The, the anti-drug laws that we have. All these horrible shit are, are wrote by right-wing think tanks and these conservative think tanks and these advocacy groups. So these politicians just sign it. They don't, they don't read these fucking bills. They might have an intern read it or they might have an aide read it, but they're not like reading the bills. They got like 100 bills that they got worried about. And most of the time, our politicians in this country are spending more time um, wooing campaign donors to run for re-election because we have an election every, you know, few years in this country every like every year is always an election going on it's always elections going on i don't believe in like unlimited terms but i think in a future episode we should discuss like maybe we shouldn't have so many elections all the damn time <laughs> maybe like every like every four years should just be an election and that's it like it shouldn't be like every year is an election because our politicians spend all the time raising money so these groups write these bills and no matter how crazy they are the fucking the, the, the Congress people or the state reps and all this stuff bring it up as like, this is a law I wrote. And it's, it's actually some law some, you know, conservative think tank wrote. And, you know, they, they fight to get that become law. And um, basically, there's been a 40-year effort to undermine um, Roe v. Wade. Um, and, and, it's, and I don't think it's some new reason why. The reasons remain the same, as we talked about earlier. Um, white supremacy and patriarchy, um, you know, go hand in hand, like peanut butter and jelly. And, apples yeah, and oranges yeah exactly and i actually saw it someone tweeted out earlier that they said you know they were talking about all these new laws that these states laws that were being passed across the country and they're like in the majority of these states it's easier to buy a gun than it is to you know for women to get health care access so you know for people that claim to be so pro-life is that your pro-life where it's easier to get a gun to kill people than it is for you know fucking women to be safe and not get killed um during childbirth or, 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 or like we talked about earlier in our podcast, the fact that, you know, the, the child poverty rate in this country is like over 20%. And so it's like, oh, we care about with the children, the children, the children, the children. Um, but once that child is born, especially if your mother is, is poor uh, or, or working class, uh, good luck, kid. Because <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're not going to have universal health care. You're probably going to go to a, a, a subpar school. And if you're a person of color, you know, you'll probably be on a school to prison pipeline. So um, just preparing you for the prison environment. Well, that, that's uh, that's when I would. S- or, or the fact that like school lunches. Have you seen the school? So Brian, I, I worked in the school. I mean, I'm thir- I'm 38 now, but um, about a decade ago, or yeah, about 12 years ago, I was working as an intern at South Shore High School, which no longer exists. They have a, a they replaced it with a uh, charter school now, uh, which is ridiculous. But that's another that's another topic for another day. But the, the school lunches are kind of just like crap. <laughs> and oh, yeah. they get, and I can only imagine, and I've seen what they recently look like now, uh, thanks to some online research and um, some things kids going into lunch debt for. And like, it's the shittiest food ever. So I'm like, we're not even giving, providing good quality food. And, and let don't get this twisted. School lunches and the breakfast um, was stolen, a stolen idea from the Black Panther Party. <laughs> Uh, because the Black Panther had the breakfast program because there were kids going up in like rural, rural communities and inner city neighborhoods who couldn't focus at school because they were f- fucking hungry. 
So the Black Panthers, you know, uh, were self-determined and they were, you know, improving their own community and feeding children. Well, well and, that's what. And, and once they, the government destroyed the Black Panthers, they they stole that program um, and, and bought it to like public schools. So when public schools closed down and stuff like that, um, it's a it's a real chance for like at the start of this pandemic, child hunger went up in this country. It was it's disgusting, and they only gave us like one or two stimulus checks. Democrats and Republicans, mind you, um, people who lost their jobs. So when these pro life people talk about the children, the children, it pisses me the fuck off because I'm not I'm not a father. Um, you know, I have nieces and nephews, but at the same token, I don't give a flying fuck if my tax money goes to feeding kids healthy lunches and providing them um, schools to learn in and hopefully that they grow up to be you know productive citizens. And I don't mean productive like they get a job, make a lot of money. I just mean that they can live happy and free lives. But if they don't have the proper nutrition and safe neighborhoods and access to, to health care, that doesn't mean anything. So these pro-lifers... Uh, if they were so pro-life, they would children. Our children in this country would not be living in poverty. Well, that's what's so frustrating. I get so mad when I see like supposedly pro-life, you know, people outside like abortion clinics, like yelling at women trying to get health care. It's like if you're so fucking pro-life, then why don't you start fo- a foster home? Why don't you adopt exactly. some kids? Why don't you get a medical? The infant mortality rate is insanely high in all these states. Why don't you go? get a medical degree and, or, you know, in some capacity, start helping out so there's not so many infant mortalities. Like, you could actually do something to prevent kids from dying, but you don't. You're just outside yelling at people, trying to get some health care. So it's so fucking disgusting on so many levels. But um, you actually brought this up earlier. If you wouldn't mind sharing it on the podcast, you, I, I remember you talk, we talked about this last week. You kind of brought up a situation, like some, a personal story where, the you know, comparing how easy it was for you to get your vasectomy compared to a friend who had to get an abortion. And basically, do you want to share that or no? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with sharing that. And just kind of, um, as we get on the infant mortality, just uh, point out some things. Um, um, for for black women in this country, their infant mortality rates is two to three, 2.3 times the infant mortality rate for has the whites. Um, also, black women... Uh, black infants are four times likely to die of complications related to low birth weight compared to whites. Um, um, black infants are twice as um, sudden infant death syndrome mortality rate as non-whites, uh, Hispanic non-whites, many Hispanic whites. Um, and black mothers are twice as likely to receive late or no prenatal care as compared to white mothers. And that's also related to poverty and inequality in our system. So, and even if you do account for those things, um, just doctors not caring or looking at the health of um, black and brown women, um, because even the famous play, uh, tennis player, Sir, um, Serena Williams, this is a woman who is a, 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 a world star, um, a world-renowned athlete who is world-famous, millions of dollars at her disposal. She's, she's rich and famous. And even her, even she almost died giving birth to her, her child. So this is a very uh, pressing topic. And that's why um, I'm kind of upset that um, even Ebony Magazine back in the day um, in the 2020 election race uh, came out in support of Bernie Sanders. And the reason why is because of Medicare for all. So this even ties into our, our, our a lack of health care and also a lack of um, doctors who come from the same background as the communities that they serve. Um, because they will have a better understanding. Um, I don't think there should be any male gynecologists or those who identify as male, uh, because um, if you 
Really? Why? Why? Yeah, it's like you. I mean, you can just be a, a penis doctor. I mean, urologist is what they call well, it. Why can't I don't I don't know if I agree with that. Why I mean, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just. I mean, I guess you can. But I mean, obviously I, there I, should I, be I women it, if for if women are comfortable, but if for the women who don't care, I don't see a problem with a guy. Yeah, doing. I mean, but I, mean, I don't know. Would you like? Would you feel? I mean, I, I don't know. It, it always felt weird when I go to like a, a, a doctor and it's like a lady and she's like grabbing my scrotum. And like, <laughs> you got tested for like you know. Sounds like cancer. a personal issue, Lord. Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> I mean, look, if you want to be a gynecologist, go ahead. But the you know, I, I don't know. Is this? It's there should be women gynecologists. There should be more so women, women can feel as comfortable as possible. Exactly. It, yeah. it should be more women gynecologists. Right. And also more uh, doctors who look like the communities they serve. Uh, I think that's a very important thing. It's not to say that white people can't serve black people, but there is lots of strong data out there that shows that, um, as we see with the infant mortality rate in um, women who die through birth rates, it is racial disparities in that in this country, even if you account for class. Because... Serena Williams was just a, a high, a high, a real, since she was so, since she's so well known that that made headlines. Um, but there's countless other black women who are not famous like Serena Williams, who are dealing with complications um, for, through health care, um, through um, prenatal care, because they don't have access to it, because we don't have health care in this country. So they're working through their pregnancies. And this has been the case since time immemorial. I, I don't think those slave masters let those pregnant slaves just sit around the house all day. Many women had babies and was back on the field in like a couple of days picking cotton. So <laughs> this is our history. And, it, and, 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 and this goes for working class white women and, and poor white women. The same thing. Like it wasn't like, oh, you can just sit on your feet and, you know. So that's, that's my point about like race and class and how that intersects into this. So my personal story is uh, I married, my wife decided that she does not want to have children. Um, so, um, but we're still married adults. <laughs> so I'm a fan of practicing making babies. <laughs> <laughs> have been since I was a younger man. Um, but I don't have any children. I believe in safe sex. Wrap it up, like I say. Unless you're in a consensual relationship and long-term monogamous relationship, whatever. Or, you know, polyamorous and you all get tested and you're fine with not using protection in that way. Anyway, my wife doesn't want to get have babies. So I was like, I called the VA. I was like, I want to get a vasectomy, snip, snip. And they were like, oh, you know, this can be reversible. So I had to go to the VA and I talked to the doctor for all of 20 minutes and was like, well, do you have any children? I was like, no, do you want any children? Well, if I, if I decide to want children, I can adopt and I have a shit ton of nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews. So if something was to happen to one, unfortunately it happened to one of my siblings um, or, 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 or cousins, most likely I would inherit a child. So... <laughs> And, and my wife has uh, nieces. I mean, has nephews too. So, we might in our forties we might inherit a child. So I, I wasn't worried about that. And that's kind of what I told the doctor. And they're like, "All right." And a week later, I went in for the procedure. Um, I'm not going to sit here and lie. You know, once the uh, medicine wore off, it was pretty painful for a few days, but I was fine. <laughs> but I was fine, and it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. Um, I even wrote a satirical article on the Evolving Man Project about it. However, um, I had a friend, um, I won't say the name to respect their privacy, but her and her husband, um, you know, she was pregnant, but, um, I can think like in the first trimester, um, the doctor found out there's going to be some complications and as she carried this baby to full term, um, it was most likely not only would she die during the, um, delivery, but the baby would die too. 
So the options that she had was to 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 have an abortion uh, to save her life uh, because um, that's kind of this is what her doctor told. And they lived in Georgia like us, my wife and I at the time. So this is me in Georgia when I got this bisectomy. This was back in 2019. Um, but this is my friends and this is their story from like 2017. And they tried. And luckily for them, they had the resources, but it was still a pretty tough um tough ordeal for them to go through because they had to go all the way she had to go all the way her and her husband had to go to new york state for her to get the abortion and her doctor literally told her that you know if she carried this baby to term there would be so many complications that she could die and the baby could die um and, and it might be like a stillborn so it was like a health risk and yet because of our restrictive abortion laws in the state she wasn't able to just get a safe procedure done um, and so, think about how she was lucky enough to have the resources to be able to go to New York. Yeah. You know, like who knows what she would have been resorted to doing if she didn't have those resources. Exactly. And it's so many women who don't have the resources and it was hard for them. And, and this is a, a pretty, you know, middle class um, couple that we're discussing, but it was still pretty hard for them. So I can only imagine if they didn't have the resources. I mean, it, you know, so it's not just the, the resources, it's the mental it's the mental state. It's the kind of the shame that goes along with it. It's just kind of like this, just all the barriers that we're putting uh, against something that people have done for, you know, so many, like we talked about earlier about the history of it has done for so long and that it wasn't a big deal until, you know, the Victorian era and this, you know, ride, wave of eugenics and white supremacy of like, and patriarchy, just like we got to keep them in their place. Um, and that wasn't the case always so people think these things are always stagnant and that this has always always been that way no and and the goal is not to like be like hey you can do whatever you want to without any consequences but no it's just just be like this should be seen as any healthcare procedure and it shouldn't be a bunch of guys in suits in fucking congress or in the state houses making these decisions about it or on the courts at the local state and federal level making decisions about it and that's what we should all do you know work on is when women do have the courage to talk about this we need to start breaking the stigma and tab taboo nature of it that's been developed so we need to start breaking that down and getting rid of it because it's causing a lot of women to suffer in silence i mean i you know i won't say any names um you know, out of respect for privacy, but I, I know two women in my life that are, you know, getting a lot older, uh, you know, a lot older than me and have just recently opened up about um, abortions that they had, early, you know, way earlier in life. And they just kept it to themselves for literally decades because of the taboo and stigma that's been brought around. So, and that's one thing, you know, we as men can do too, is just being, you know, break down that stigma and just be open, let women share their stories, um, respect you know i think there's this weird thing too like a lot of like pro-life people are like oh you know promiscuous women are just running around having abortions all the time like these are never easy choices for women you know these are always something like you said you know with your friend it, it was a medical you know she could die and that's true with a lot of women pregnancy i mean a lot you know <laughs> childbirth is not you know it just doesn't pop out like it is a, a you know a serious medical event um, that can go yeah. wrong in so many different ways for both the health of the baby and yeah. the mom. In ancient times, like that would probably be the leading cause of death for like women um, is through childbirth. Oh yeah, um, and and also the baby itself. So, so this is some serious stuff. Um, 
and yeah, the taboo around it is is kind of ridiculous. Um, um, yeah. Um, I, and, well, so speaking of the taboo nature, I did just want to mention because I do think this is something. You know, back when when all these abortion laws were getting passed, there wasn't this kind of religious component to it, at least not in the 1800s, where that's developed in the late 1900s till now. So that's going to be another barrier that we're going to have to overcome to, you know, make sure women have the access to health care that they need. And just to touch on it, because it's absolutely disgusting. So I want, you know, everyone to know what, you know, what women and what Planned Parenthood have to deal with. Um which is kind of this religious component. Um, previously, early 1900s, um, scholar, uh, pastors and scholars and stuff were split on whether abortion was sinful. It wasn't really till the 70s and 80s that the evangelical, uh, evangelical uh, church started combining with politics that, you know, abortion became this is- issue. And then, you know, all these churches started having these pro-life activists. And the extreme people in those movements, um, between 1980 and 2000, there were uh, 153 assaults, uh, 383 death threats, three kidnappings, um, 18 attempted murders, 11 people were murdered, and then countless, you know, what I talked about earlier where, um, you know, protests at Planned Parenthood and things like that. So it's really disgusting what these groups are doing, and it's it's I hate using the term pro-life because it's really anti-woman. Um, basically yeah that's exactly what it is right but so we just gotta you know that's a new element that we're gonna have to resist and fight against in the right you know in uh, women's reproductive rights Um, it's always a fight (laughs) right and the last thing i don't know the last thing i just wanted to touch on too you know we've talked about i think your focus with this issue should always be on the experience of women and their their rights but if you want to get into the science of it um from everything that I've read, um, from all medical journals and stuff, that you know, there's this myth that oh, the baby, the fetuses feel pain, so we can't. Um, from everything I've read, they do not um, have the the neurological, you know, build to experience pain in that way. Um, also, you know, so many of these laws are based around a fetal heartbeat. When that fetal heartbeat starts, what that really is is collections of cells begin to pulsate, but it's not a fully formed heart. So they try and pass it off as, oh, the kid has a heart. It's not alive. It doesn't have a heart. It's just the cells begin to pulsate in a way that makes a noise. So it's not even, you know, in medical terms, um, it's not considered alive until it, I forgot the, you know, remember the technical term for it, but there's a a medical term for when it can survive on its own. In medical terms, that's when the baby's considered alive, when it can when it's, um, you know, can survive on its own. Otherwise, when it's completely dependent on the mother, it should be up to the mother, you know, to control what's happening with her because it's basically, you know, it is still her body. Um, And then the final point is I think it's extremely silly, and I'll share. um, I watched a lecture from this uh, professor at Yale who was talking about the cycle of life and how silly it is to try and be, you know, when the sperm hits the egg, that's when it's alive. When it has this heartbeat, that's when it's alive. Life is a cycle. And I always think about what George Carlin said. He's like, Christians believe uh, um, conception, uh, uh, life begins at conception. I believe life began billions of years ago and is a continual process. And that's really the more accurate way to look at it. Life is a cycle. It's a continual process. Picking one little point to say life begins at that point is kind of silly. I mean, you know, a fetus at early age is a leaf or a fly have more in common DNA-wise with an adult human than this little fetus does. So to pick these random little points isn't, it's pseudoscience. It's not science, and it's not supported by any kind of, you know, scientific understanding. 
So I, I just think, you know, on top of all the other disgusting shit, it's also silly um, to view it that way. Yeah, and it's just playing the evangelical movement is just playing off emotions and um, and getting people riled up, um, which is what the right wingers are really, really good at doing. Um, and unfortunately, they're aided and abetted by the uh, the Democrats. Because let's not forget our, our, our Supreme, I mean, our, 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 our uh, Attorney General, uh, Merrick Garland, was a Republican. So <laughs> I'm sure at one time he agreed with the Republican Party platform until Obama was tried to put him on the Supreme Court for bipartisan reasons. And they still didn't put him on the Supreme Court. But he ended up getting his um, nice, cushy law job. So good for him. So yep. they've always been aided and abetted by the so-called liberals. All right. Anything else you want to add before we get into quotes? Uh, no, I, th- I think uh, for guys, it's, you know, it's a learning process. Um, and, and definitely take time, um, talk to your partners, uh, talk to, you know, the people that you're having, the, making these decisions and, and, and hear them out. Um, it's, it's their body, it's their choice. But, um, I mean, even if you don't have a significant other or, you know, you're not a, a, a straight man, um, you can still understand the, the journey and the struggles that um, half the, half the population goes through. Um, and you don't have to have a, a sister or, or a, a wife or, or daughter to understand this is just kind of being a decent human being. And even if you can't experience it, you know, so empathy to others. Exactly. And I don't think, you know, just cause, and the, the reason I wanted to do this podcast was I think the assault on women's reproductive rights is amping up. The courts have been filled with ultra conservative judges. So yep. may, maybe I'm pessimistic, but I don't, you know, I could totally see as a possibility that they can even try and overturn Roe v. Wade, you know, sooner rather than later. So, we all need to understand the history, understand what's at stake, and you know, stand in solidarity with women and their reproductive rights and their health. Exactly. So I'm ready for the quote. <laughs> all right. You can go. All right. Um, my quote, and I apologize if I um, mis- mispronounce your name, but we have a history of doing that. Um, it's Navita Menon, and she wrote a um, book called um, Seeing Like a Feminist. In the ideal feminist world would not be one in which abortions were free and common, but one in which women would have greater control over pregnancy and in which the circumstances that make pregnancies unwanted would have been transformed. Until then, it is hugely imperfect, unfair, and sexist world. I believe feminists must defend women's access to legal and safe abortions whenever they decide to have them, for whatever reason, their decision. Right on. And mine um, is from the uh, lady that I mentioned earlier, uh, Margaret Sanger. And she said that uh, no woman can call herself free who does not own and control her body. So, I mean, can't put it really more simpler than that. Like what kind of freedom is a freedom where you can't even control what's going on with your own body? But um, all right. Well, thank you, Lornette. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, As you mentioned earlier, please share the podcast where you can. Um, we're hoping, I don't want to, uh, count my, count our chickens before they hatch, but I think we're going to have a guest, um, to kind of talk, talk about the, a very special guest to talk about this topic further. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Um, if you're interested in learning more, uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Q culture, Q U E culture, because we always share, you know, the books, documentaries, articles, all that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in learning more about any topic we discuss, that's up on our social media. Um, don't forget to check out Lornette's blog, The Evolving Man Project, his book, Even the Faders. 
Um, if you're in the mood for some U.S. history, we also have monthly episodes. Um, so thanks again, everyone, for listening. And remember to question everything. Everything. Any views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian and Lornette and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian and Lornette may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.